Let's go ahead and open up to the book of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and Lord willing, this morning we're going to cover verses 17 here all the way to chapter 3, verse 8, as we continue our section here in the book of Romans in which God declares the whole world to be guilty. He really does. Now, uh, yesterday we had just a a great, great uh, evening. Uh, The married couple's Valentine's dinner, I'm telling you, man, was a total, total blessing. Um, Everything, the food... It was incredible, the chocolate-dipped strawberries, the fellowship, the message. Um, it was just from the Lord. And, you know, it was cool celebrating Valentine's Day like that. Did you guys have a nice Valentine's Day? Did you, hopefully you did. Even as single people, I hope you just know how much God loves you and you were able to celebrate that in a certain way. Uh, I know even on the way in today, I was thinking uh, about this, and then my daughter was showing me some of the Valentines, the little Valentines that she's given away to the other kids, you know, and you guys remember that? Remember doing that when you were in school? And uh, she's all, Dad, do you think I, uh, I, sh- I should give these out? And at first, I'm like, no, I don't think so, you know, because, I mean, like, who are you going to give them to, and, and what's, what's up with that? You know, she's 15, and, and so anyway, she said, well, I was thinking about giving just some of them out. Like, here's one that says, you know, you're a sweetheart and, you know, friends forever and things like that. And, you know, I had one eyebrow kind of raised. And then <laughs> and she explained to me that she was just going to give it out to the girls. And I said, okay, no problem. Green light. She's all, well, Dad, I wouldn't want to send the wrong message. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know how guys are. Believe me, you would. And so... You know, I was thinking about that, and I was like, the, the wrong message, the right message. You know, going through this section in the book of Romans, you know, we're just hearing over and over again that you're guilty without Christ, and that you really need to examine your life to make sure you know the Lord. Because if you don't really have Christ, then what we're seeing here is that you are guilty. Now, the interesting thing about that is that you might be here and you're sitting through that study and you're wondering, well, you know what? I thought God was supposed to be a God of love. And so why is he always saying guilty, 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 guilty? Well, number one, that's what the Bible says. But number two, you got to understand that that message is motivated by love. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, um, that the purpose of the commandment, First Timothy, is love from a pure heart. And that's why God does this, you guys, in dealing with salvation and dealing with your life. He just really wants to make sure that you understand that apart from Christ, you're guilty. We saw earlier that you could be the pagan Gentiles, immoral, doing those things. You got to know, most people know they're guilty. But you might even be a moral man, like Mahatma Gandhi. I have struggles saying his name. And, you know, he was a moral man. I don't know exactly where he was at. I don't know really what his views were on Christ. I don't think he knew Christ. And it doesn't matter how great you are as a moral man. If you don't have Jesus Christ, then you're guilty. And today we're going to see that even if you have religion, even Judaism, which was like the best religion of all by far then, even the Jew was guilty. Everyone is guilty. They need to know they're guilty so that they will cry out to God. You see, some people will raise their hand and they'll say the sinner's prayer, you know, and you might, you know, you know, have that experience or maybe you've been with someone and you've seen those types of things, but they don't really know the Lord a lot of times because it's really not motivated with the right purpose. You know, some people might come to Christ because they want their marriage to get right or they want their children to get right or they want someone to get healed or they want circumstances to change financially. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting after 9-11, a lot of people went back to church, even during the financial crisis some people are going back to church but if that's your motive you want money then you know that's not going to save you you need to cry out for mercy and unless you're really convinced that apart from christ you're just totally guilty then you're not going to have the motive that's necessary 
to save your soul. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Imagine there you are before the judge and you know you've done it. Okay, and you know, there you are though in front of him. For some reason you think that, you know what? I wasn't that bad. I mean, come on. And, and a lot of times when we've done things wrong, we think we have good reason for doing those things and we come up with some great excuses. You know, there are some people standing before the judge. They kind of are, are great, you know, they, the self-appointed defense attorney and they, you know, give their case before the judge and they think that just like with everything else in their life, that they're going to get away with it. You know, we, we might experience that on earth. We might do things and get away with things. That happens sometimes on earth. We just kind of find our way out of it. But that will not happen before God. You see, the Bible says that when we stand before him, we will not get away with it. When one day, if you're there and if that's you and you're not really a Christian, then understand you will hear those heart-wrenching words from the lips of the Lord, guilty. Guilty. And that means incarceration. That means execution. That means everlasting death. And such will be the case for multitudes of people who have never heard the message of Romans and don't realize that they're guilty before God. And so it's so cool, you guys, being able to go through the Bible and to study this this morning. And my prayer is that if you're here today and you're guilty, that you would leave not guilty. And that's really what it's all about. I mean, praise God for, you know, better marriages and praise God for, you know, better relationships and praise God that he supplies all our needs financially. But the most important thing here today is salvation. That if there is one lost soul here, that you need to be found. And today we encourage you to give your life to Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, who is nailed to the cross, and rose again so that you might have life. We see here in this section of scripture in Romans that Paul the apostle tells the whole world they're guilty. Again, we saw the pagan Gentiles immorally guilty and the hypocritical moralists morally guilty. We see today the religious Jews that are spiritually guilty. Because again, look what it says here in chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. It says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law Paul here is speaking to the Jews. You know, we know that for sure because that's what he says explicitly there in verse 17. You know, some people believe in verses 1 through 16, he's speaking to the Jew as well, but that's not so clear because there again in verse 1 and 3, he says, oh man, speaking to the world, which includes Jews. But now he specifically points to the Jews. He clearly identifies them. And he shares with them, you guys have some false confidence. You know, you look at the Jews, incredible, incredible history of the Jews. I mean, the way that God has intervened in their life, the way that God chose them. You read Ezekiel chapter 16. They had nothing going, nothing better, but God chose them. And God raised them up and God set them free and God led them through and God just did so many miracles. He continues to do miracles. And, you know, if anyone had a claim to be innocent, I guess you could say it would have to be the religious Jews, huh? But as we'll study today, we'll see that even they were guilty before God. You know, in reading here in verses 17 through 20, we see at least six categories of false confidence. Number one, notice again there in verse 17, indeed you are called a Jew. Called a Jew. Believe it or not, the Jews thought that just because they were Jews, that was the belief in the day, that they were saved. The common mindset among them was that simply because they were descendants of Abraham, that they were going to heaven. The Mishnah even said that all Israelites have a share in the world to come. 
That was their theology. And they truly believed that by race they were saved. But we need to know that this is never, ever, ever the case. It will never be true. And it's for that reason, when John the Baptist came, the the forerunner to Jesus Christ, he told them in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. I mean, just because they were Jewish, by race, they believed they were saved and God wanted to correct their thinking. Now, in going through this section right here, and actually in going through the whole book of Romans, um, it's believed that these are probably some of the arguments that Paul faced. Remember in the book of Acts, when Paul would ever go out and he'd evangelize, he'd always go to the synagogue first He would always evangelize the Jew first. And so these are things that they told him. Paul said, Jesus came, Jesus died, you need Jesus. They said, we don't need Jesus, we're Jewish. And Paul said, yes, you do. And they said, no, descendants of Abraham, we're fine. Paul said, well, remember, John the Baptist told you that God can raise up descendants of Abraham from the stones. That doesn't save you. There was a false confidence there because of their race. And secondly, there was a false confidence because of the Bible that they had. Again, notice there, it says in verse 18, and and, and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. You know, they, they really felt that they were okay because they bore the scriptures. Resting on the law, instructed out of the law, knowing his will, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. They were deceived into thinking that having the law and knowing the law meant that they were above the law. And you might be here today and we're going to kind of take a look at this and maybe make it a little bit practical in our lives. Because although I don't know if any of you here are Jewish by, um, by race. I know my brother-in-law Larry, he's, he's half Jew and he's this incredible uh, Jewish people to me are, are beautiful, incredible people. But, you know, maybe you're here today and, and you're Catholic in background. Or maybe you're here today and you were raised uh, as a Christian. I know I've, I've met some people, hey, are you a Christian? And they'll say, yeah, I've been a Christian all my life. Uh, you, there's no one here who's been a Christian all their life. Okay, you're not born a Christian. You're, you're not born saved. You're born a sinner. We're born lost. See? And so you can take it like that. Maybe you're here today and you have 10 Bibles at home. Maybe you're here today and you know the Bible very well. You have a degree in theology. Well, Paul is trying to say that does not save you. Race doesn't save you. Multitudes of Bible knowledge and Bible possessions don't save you. That's what he's trying to tell them. And and it even gets even more interesting. Notice what he says. He says, and you make your boast in God. Now, what that means literally in the Greek is that they were bragging about their relationship with God. And so, you guys, we got to be so careful. This is somebody who is uh, their um, Jew. I mean, God has dealt with their life. And there they are. They have the Bible. They know the Bible. And there they are. They even know this. How many of you know this? That going to heaven is not based on religion. It's based on relationship. How many of you know that? Okay, well, just because you know that, it doesn't make you saved. But I know that, Manny. Well, it doesn't make you saved. Yeah, but I really know that. Listen, it doesn't matter if you know that it's more than religion, that it is relationship. You know, and you might even brag about your relationship. Well, we have a relationship with God. And I remember one day he saved me from, you know, falling off the cliff. And you have these angel stories and things like that. That's what the Jews were saying. We have a relationship with God. My ancestors, they knew the Lord. You might be here today say, my dad, he's a pastor. My uncle Tony, he's a priest. God has no grandchildren, right? And that's what the Jews were saying. They said, I'm a guide to the blind, a a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to those who are foolish. He's really getting like deeper into this whole thing. You know, you say you're a Jew. Boom. Okay, cool. Now you say you have the Bible. Okay, that's pretty impressive. You say you have a relationship with God. Wow, that, that, that says a lot. And now you're even telling me that you evangelize? 
You're an instructor to the lost. You invited someone to church. You told them about Jesus. You told them they need Jesus. Well, that doesn't save you. He even goes worse. I mean, deeper. And he says, and you even are a teacher of babes. And what that means is that this individual was a discipler. I mean, they not only went out and found the lost and told them about the Lord, but when people did come to the Lord, supposedly, they would sit them down and teach them the Bible. And Paul is just saying, listen, listen, you got to know that apart from Christ, you have no hope. You got to know that unless it's real, unless it's real, you have no hope. We're going to look as we go through the text right here, that the major thing that they emphasize was circumcision. And for us, you know, today it might be baptism, or I think really probably the thing of the day. I believe if Paul the Apostle were here today speaking to the church, I believe what he would tell the church is that your church attendance does not save you. Because I think that that's where a lot of our assurance is or our confidence is. And one day we're going to stand before God and, you know, you're going to be there and you're going to say, God, I went to church 137,000 times. I read it in the book. And God will say, depart from me because I never knew you. Church attendance does not save us. We really have to take a deep examination of our life, you know, and although maybe 95% of you are saved, who knows, maybe 99% of you are saved. But if there's 1% here today, if there's one person here today who's not saved, this, our heart is for you. We will leave the 99 and go looking for you. That's Paul's heart. He wanted the Jews to get saved so bad that he said, I would be willing to go to hell so that you would go to heaven. And that's the heart of a pastor. And I think in looking at this, Paul is just trying to tell them, man, I know, and this is probably the toughest one. Haven't you guys seen this? You know, you go out on the street and you talk to a person, maybe they're homeless, and you talk to a person and maybe they're doing drugs. And you talk to this young person over here, and a lot of times, you know what? They know they need the Lord. Huh? I mean, you talk to a prostitute. 99 times out of 100, she knows she needs the Lord. Right, right there, right there. You start talking to them, you know what? They start crying. They just know they need the Lord, huh? They're easier to reach than the religious one. This man, this woman who was raised in the church, they know all the hymns, all the verses, but they do not really know the Lord. And that's what Paul is trying to share with them now. Listen, you guys, you got to know that religion it's cool, we're going to see later in one sense, but it doesn't save you. And so we see here in verse 21, Paul is sharing with them all these things, and he says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. This is a scary verse. You therefore who teach others. Question. Do you teach yourself? Now, of course, this applies to all teachers. The Bible says, let not many of you become teachers, for knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. And so, you know, those guys, us, man, this is a scary verse for me. You know, if you're teaching, you really got to make sure you're living. Otherwise, don't be teaching. God really sees that. It, it applies to teachers, but the context here is for the Jews, for all of them. You're a Jew. You have the Bible. You were raised in the Lord. You have this ancestry, this history. You're the one teaching all these things, knowing all these things. Question, how's your life? Are you living these things? Because a lot of times, if we're honest, we're not living these things. He says, in getting specific, I know you know the Eighth Commandment. I know you do. You learned it when you were just a little kid. And you're not supposed to, thou shalt not steal. You preach it well. Question, do you steal? 
How is your tax information? You ever stole a paper clip from work? Oh, that's not stealing. Who paid for it? Another question he has, adultery. I know you know it's the seventh commandment. You learned that when you were just a little boy. You probably even know the, Exodus, the, the reference in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you know about thou shalt not commit adultery. Question, do you commit adultery? Do you lust? You see that guy? Girls lust. You see that girl? You check her out again and again and yet you know it's wrong and yet you preach against it and you know I know you I know how you Jews are you're monotheists and I know you absolutely despise idols but have you ever bowed your knee to anyone or anything other than God I mean Paul I think he knew what was going on some of these guys they preached so much against it and yet they would rob temples kind of like Rachel she was the daughter of Laban She's leaving her father and she goes, and what does she do? She steals the household idol. They, they do that. Idolatry is going on because you're putting someone before God. You're putting something before God. You are an idolater. Paul is just trying to share with them, listen, the only reason I'm saying these things, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not. I'm trying to save your soul. I'm trying to make you realize that because your lifestyle is not matching up with what you say, that that proves you don't really know the Lord. And just because you have a religion, it's not going to get you to heaven. He's really reaching out to them. You think you honor God by having the law and by knowing the law, all the while breaking the law? No. We have so many Bibles nowadays, it's, just, uh, it's almost getting uh, too much for me. I'm sorry, man. We have, you name it. Cooking Bibles, I mean, you, I mean, it's just amazing, man. Archaeological Bibles, chronological Bibles, you know, leadership Bibles, you know, love Bibles, single mom Bibles. We have all these Bibles, more Bibles than we've ever had before. But we've drifted so far from obeying the Bible. You know, Paul's just sharing with them. And he refers right here back to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 5, and Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 22, in which God says to his people, the Jews, you know, you're not living the life. And because you're misrepresenting me, my name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. You know, in both of those texts right there, the references to the supposed people of God living in bondage and defeat. By doing that, they're proving that although they profess to bear the name of God, they did not know God and therefore actually brought open reproach to his name. Imagine that. You know, there you are, the Babylonians, imagine, conquering the Jews. And there you are as a Jew and you're trying to witness to the Babylonian. The Babylonians saying, where's your God? A lot of times we see that we bring reproach to God. You see, in looking at this again, it's not race, it's not religion, it's not circumcision or baptism. It is Jesus Christ that saves us. And you've got to get real with the Lord. You know, I've literally had people tell me, yes, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized. I, I literally have. had. Have you guys ever had someone tell you that? I'm going to heaven because I was baptized. I have literally had people tell me that, sharing with people. You know, we need to know that doesn't save us. Although we need to do it, it doesn't save us. Uh, again, that's probably the modern-day equivalent to Jewish circumcision. And, and you guys, we just need to know that no ceremony or ritual will make us acceptable to God. Our only hope, once again, is Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've truly, really, totally given your life to Christ, then you're not guilty. And I just thank God for that. I'm not guilty. You're not guilty as a Christian. Isn't that cool? I mean, celebrate every day. Play that song if you want to. Celebration. I mean, you name it. You're not guilty. But if you haven't totally given your life to Christ, then you're still guilty. You're either in or you're not. Well, I'm not sure if I'm in or not. Well, if you're here today and you're not sure, you better make sure before you leave. I encourage you to make sure before you leave. 
You see, baptism doesn't save us. Circumcision doesn't save us. It's just Jesus Christ. And when we acknowledge our sin and turn from that sin, that's what the Bible says, to repent and to trust in Christ to save me, simple saving faith in Him, and then my life will show through a lifestyle of obedience. You see, look what it says here in verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, the common mindset of the Jews, uh, again, and I know it sounds kind of weird, but this was their heart, and this is where Paul was reaching them. That they thought if they were Jew, they were saved. They thought if they were circumcised, that that sealed their salvation. As a matter of fact, the rabbis would say this, circumcised men do not descend into Gehenna. The rabbis said this, circumcision will deliver Israel from Gehenna. And this is a quick side note. Okay, let me just share this. That was the view of the day. And Paul dealt with that view. What's the view of today? Whatever the views are, we need to deal with them. Here it was circumcision. Paul did it straight out. It didn't necessarily originate with the Jews, but God did make it a sign of his covenant with them. And that was unique. And that was a huge thing for the Jews. As a matter of fact, if you want to go back to Genesis 17, you can see how this whole thing started. Because as you read through the New Testament, you find that this was like a a battle in the life of the church. You know, we see it in the book of Galatians. We see it in Colossians. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in the book of Romans. And it all goes back to this story here in Genesis chapter 17. It says in verse 1 that when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. How many of you here would like the Lord to appear to you, just out of curiosity. (laughs) Oh man, that would be so amazing, wouldn't it? The Lord appeared to Abraham. This is special. This is so amazing. And he tells him, walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. There's that, 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 that that young adults ministry, face down right there, man. I... Even though he was 99, he's still a young adult, face down right there. And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Oh, that's so precious. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be called Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. I mean, it's just a beautiful covenant that was, man, starting here with Abraham, his descendants, and God was going to give him the land, and God was going to give him the descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea, and God was going to bless the whole world because through him, the Messiah would come. I mean, this is just so special. I was thinking about this, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but imagine if it was... We'll just say the, the, the Mexicans. It was the Mexicans that God chose, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, they got all like, well, we're the chosen race. And now I'm, you know, Mexican. I think I am anyways. And um, there might be that tinge of pride. 
And that's what happened with the Jews. God made this incredible covenant with them. Look what it says there in verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you will keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. I mean, it's like, boom. He like, like almost like narrowed it down to circumcision. You see, this is why they're reading this and they're thinking, you know what, this is huge. But look how God identifies circumcision in verse 11. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. What was circumcision according to the scriptures? It was just a sign, huh? It was just a sign. And if you come to church, you want to know something? That's just a sign. And as you got baptized, you want to know something? That was just a sign. And as you prayed that prayer and as you went forward and all those things like that, those are just a sign of something that goes on inside. Circumcision was symbolic of the cutting away of the flesh, cutting away of the things that are not right and and embracing this covenant relationship with God. You know, it was supposed to be an outward expression of an inward reality. Mom, dad, brothers, sisters, friends, family, everyone knew about it. We are a circumcised people and we are different than everyone else. The cutting away of the flesh, it shows and says that we are his. But over time, what ended up happening was circumcision became their assurance. And that always happens, man. It always does. We have that tendency to take things that we can touch and try to make them really the the real deal. That's why we don't have the Ark of the Covenant. I know that's why we don't have it. Indiana Jones will never find it. It's not going to happen, man. Because God knows that if we got it, what would we do? We would worship it. See, it has to be something going on in your mind, in your heart, in the inner man, a relationship with the Lord. You know, I remember when I was Catholic, uh, I remember being told that infant baptism, that secured my place in heaven. Have you ever gone to a Catholic funeral and they tell you that, you know, they're okay because they entered the waters of baptism? I've heard that in many Catholic funerals. Along with the sacraments of First Communion, Confession, Confirmation. And I remember even as a kid, my you know, my, my Thea Mary, she told me, Mijo, you just wear this scapular, and if you die with a scapular on, you'll, you'll, you're going to be, you're going to go to heaven. And so let me tell you, I wore that scapular, man. I wore it all the time because it meant, oh, if I die with this, then I'm going to heaven. And, and, you know, again, they have the confidence in the things that are not real. But we need to know that all those things, religion, it doesn't save us. And that's really what Paul is communicating here in this section. If you're circumcised, trusting in that circumcision, you're going to keep on sinning because you're still guilty. And yet, in looking at this, it's kind of interesting. There are those who aren't circumcised. There are those who aren't baptized. There are those who, and although I don't encourage this, they don't go to church like they should. But you want to know something? They're going to beat a lot of people, a lot of church attenders. They're going to be there in heaven. Why? Because it was real. And their life showed it. That's what he's saying right there. You see, religion doesn't save us. Relationship does. And those Gentiles will be a testimony as interesting against you. That's interesting. Man, wait a minute. We're supposed to testify against them. No, they will against you. Even though the Bible didn't come through them, they sure got the message of the Bible, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, you guys, it's all about Christ. It all is all about Christ. It's about the personal relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, your God, your King, your Messiah, your Lord, your Master, the one that talks to you every day, the one that leads you every day, the one that loves you every day, the one that takes care of you every day. It's that personal relationship with him. And if you don't have that personal relationship, then you've just got a religion. And Paul's trying to tell them that you're, you're guilty. Jesus said in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. 
See, over time, things change, unfortunately. I read this uh, poem right here. I think it's a poem. It's a little saying right here. It was written in 1936, kind of pointing the whole problem that we have a lot of times. And it makes this a whole list of digression. It says, first, dentistry was painless. I don't know where that came from, but (laughs) painless dental work. Okay, and then bicycles were chainless. I guess that means motorcycles, huh? Next, carriages were horseless. I guess that's cars, huh? And many laws were enforceless. One day, cookery was fireless. Imagine that day when stoves or, you know, microwaves. Cigars were nicotineless, caffeine, caffeineless. Even oranges and watermelon were seedless. I like those. One day, the college boy became hatless and the proper diet fatless. Now motor roads are dustless and the latest steel is rustless. And even our tennis courts are sodless. But our religion has become godless and Christianity is often Christless. And if your Christianity is Christless, then you don't have Christianity. And we love you enough And Paul loves you enough to tell you that you're guilty. And one day when you stand before God, because your life never changed, you will perish. You must cry out to God and tell him you're guilty. And ask him, beg him, plead with him to have mercy on your soul. This is our task to tell you this because this is what Romans tells us to preach. Look again there in verse 28. It says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You know, Abraham is often called the father of the faith. And we'll see later, even in the book of Romans, that he was saved by faith. And so the logic is that the spiritual children of Abraham are those who have been born by faith. And so I say this as one truth to you as Christians. I don't know if you guys really have ever let this sink in before, but you are Jews. Did you know that? You're spiritual Jews. Now, again, remember I told you the Jewish race still stands. All the promises for Israel are still real. Okay, don't have that replacement theology. That's not what I'm talking about. They're still there. They're still chosen. God's going to deal with them. We'll see that in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But you need to know, we need to know that we are Jews. And so what does that mean? Well, that means that you've got to wear a hamaka. (laughs) Yamaka. You know, those hats that remind you of someone who's above you. That means you've got to have a bar mitzvah. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't mean those things. When I think of the Jews, I just think, man, Lord, the way that you chose them, the way, Lord, that you dealt with them, isn't it so cool, the way that the Lord protected them, how they would walk through the wilderness for 40 years and their sandals never wore out, isn't that amazing? How the Lord would lead them by day with this cloudy pillar and by night he gave them light on the road in which they should travel. I mean, the way that God took care of the Jews is a way that he will take care of you as his church. All the promises that God gave to Abraham, God now gives to you. It's so cool to know this. Why? Because we're circumcised in the heart. Again, don't get me wrong. There's still a Jewish race. There's still a Jewish nation. Israel and God is not done with them by any means. That's why we see all the things going on in Israel that we do today. Because God is getting ready to return. But religion or race doesn't save us. Having the Bible, knowing the Bible doesn't save us. Circumcision or baptism doesn't save us. And so you might be here today then thinking, okay, well, the pastor said that church attendance doesn't save me. So I'm not going to go anymore. Okay? No, you need to come more. I know you sinners, man. You need to be here more. (laughs) 
You might think, well, he told me that having the Bible and knowing the Bible doesn't save me, so I don't have to have a Bible or know the Bible. No, again, I would say to you, you should know the Bible more than you've ever known it before. Study it with all your heart. Well, he, what are you trying to say? Look what he says next in chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. You need to come to church, you need to do all these things. The Jews had this advantage, and that was that they had the word of God. The oracles of God, that literally means the very words from the mouth of God. And let me tell you something, there is an advantage in that. That's why I'm so blessed with my children. I thank God for his grace on our life that he's allowed us to homeschool our children. Because then we can integrate the Bible in every single subject. And all day long, they're learning the word of God. We, man, we've got to pray for our public schools. The teachers that are in those schools many times are pagans. They do not know the Lord. And they're, and they're the ones influencing your children. You know, there's those Christian teachers there and influences. And I'm so grateful to God for them. But let me tell you something, raising up your children in the ways of the Lord and giving them the Bible at an early age and just penetrating their hearts with the truths of God. It says right here, there is an advantage. Notice he says, much in every way. It will permeate every area of your life. There is an advantage. Why? Because you get to hear the voice of God. And so Paul here is dealing with the Jews and he knows the way they think and he's actually argued with them. And, and look what they say yet next. Notice what it says there in verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Now, Paul's going to deal with this later, but, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, here's the thing. The Lord's told the Jews, you're going you're gonna to be blessed. You're going to get saved. You're going to have your own vine and fig tree. But wait a minute. We, I thought you just got done saying that we're not saved in religion. Well, it's because God's going to deal with you later. But understand this. Just because the Jews aren't believing now, it doesn't mean that the faithfulness of God is not true. God's word will come to pass. The Bible says every word in the book of Joshua chapter 21 came to pass. The faithfulness of God, something that we can stand on. We need to know that, you guys, especially in the days that we're living in today, especially in the battles that you have today. You know, last night um, we had some really, really good food. I love the pita bread and the hummus. I could have hummus tacos easily, man. But they had this little garlic stuff. It was like, it was like loaded, man. I'm serious with power. And I just got a little bit and I'm like, whoa, man, this is amazing. But you know what it did? It made me have a nightmare. <laughs> I had such a crazy dream this morning. But it was the enemy. It was God warning me, God allowing this giant. I'm serious, it was a giant. And I was running with everything that I had, everything that I could. I just couldn't get away. It, it was just, I, I don't normally dream. It was just so clear. And you know, the, you guys, I know you're going through things and we're facing things because we want to reach the Lord Man, of all days, we need to know now more than ever that his word is true and God is faithful. God is faithful. We need to stand on his word and not lose heart no matter what you might be going through. You know, yesterday my son gave me a Valentine's Day card and um, it was cool because Shelly told me he actually picked this one out and normally he doesn't do that. But he did this time. And so I was reading it. And, you know, it's really cool. I love cards, man. And he's, the first part of the card, it said, Dad, you've always been there to, to fix the leaky faucets. And I do. I break other things. But I actually do fix the leaky faucets. And then, Dad, you've always been there to change the flat tires. And believe it or not, we had a flat tire last week. And I actually changed it. It's amazing, man. <laughs> 
It's one of the few things I know how to do in a car. And then on the bottom of the car, I said, Dad, you've always been there to offer me godly guidance. And it was just so cool. I showed this dad with his little boy. And I just thought, oh, man, I love that one, you know, more than all of them. And then in the opening, he opened up the card. And I said, and therefore, Dad, since you've always been there, you will always be here. And, it, and his heart just popped out. And it was like, wow. And I'm like, Aaron chose this? So I was like, wow. <laughs> I love that. But I failed him sometimes. But I'm still there. God has never failed you. And you want to know something? He will never fail you. I pray that he's there. I pray that this God is there. He is faithful. Let every man be a liar. God is true. Another argument they might have there in verse 5, he says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, Listen, Paul says, their condemnation is just. Believe it or not, some people judge God and they sometimes base it on how the people who claim to be Christians are in some cases awful people and so they then reject Christianity. Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. If every man is a liar, understand God is true. And, you know, some people, unfortunately, they'll say, well, listen, you know what, Manny... You know, today you're talking about the Jews and how they were unfaithful. And you want to know something? In, in sharing that message, I, I heard about the righteousness of God. And you know how wacky some people are? They'll say, therefore, I, I must be doing a good thing. You know, my, my unfaithfulness has demonstrated his righteousness. And therefore, you know, God's using this for good. Therefore, it's good. And then Paul says, no. No way. The ends never justify the means. Jews, Jews, Jews. Stop making excuses. You're guilty. So he's trying to tell them, you're guilty. And you need Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You see, the pagan Gentiles were guilty because they loved their sin. They're disobedient. And there might be some of you here today, you're in sexual sin, and you love it. You love your sexual sin. And yet, that was supposed to be reserved for marriage. And unless you repent, you will perish. The Bible says that some people don't come to Jesus. You want to know why? Because they love darkness. If you're clinging to your sexual sin, then you're in darkness. You don't know the Lord. That's what he's talking about when he mentioned the pagan Gentiles, getting high, getting drunk, partying, lying, cheating, doing all those things. He said, you're guilty. Well, they're kind of more evident. And then the moral hypocrites. Well, we know what's right, but you know what? In all reality, you're a good person. You're feeding the homeless. Mahatma Gandhi, that guy right there, don't know the Lord. Not going to make it because you need Jesus. And you religious people, the religious ones. We went to church 136,000 times. And then one day they stand before God and God will cast them into the lake of fire. See, they're guilty. And that's what Paul is trying to share with them. The darkness of the devil and deception there apart from Christ. As we go through our study here in the book of Romans, again, Paul is just laying down this case. It's like a treatise. Listen, we're guilty apart from him. And this week, we are reminded that religion will never, ever save anyone. We need relationship. Amen? Many of you here are not guilty because you've truly given your life to Christ. And man, I just rejoice in that. I want to do like that leap, that Toyota leap, man. Thank you, Lord, so much that I'm not guilty. Not because of my behavior, but because of my belief. I trust Jesus, from the bottom of my heart. But there might be some of you here that are guilty today or you're just not sure where you're at. Listen, 
If that's you, if you're guilty, don't leave today without asking Christ to be Lord and Savior. You know, without praying with the person who, came, who brought you or you came with, just turn to them. Real simple, from your heart, and you accept Christ. So this last week, I was talking to a gentleman who, um, in his own room, someone said, read the Gospel of John. He fell to his knees. He cried out, and God saved him right there and then. You could do that. But please, please, don't leave without accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. One last word. I didn't mention this, but in chapter 2, it says there in verse 29, he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now, this is interesting. How many of you know where we get the word Jew? You probably know how there. No? Right. Some of you do know. We get it from Judah, which means what? Praise. Praise. And see, what we want as Jews, God, Lord, call me a Jew, is you want to hear those words of commendation, not from man. It doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to me, but from God. That God would look at your life, who sees everything, and that he would say, this one knows me. And that's where we need to be, you guys. I pray that one day when you stand before the Lord, that he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But I'm telling you guys, man, we got to be real. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And uh, thank you for the commandment motivated by love that even tells us things that are sometimes hard to hear. But Lord, I do pray for salvation today. I do pray, Lord God, please, that you would minister to every man here, every woman here, anyone that doesn't know you, that they would today, Lord God, humble themselves, cry out for mercy, turn from their wicked ways, and rejoice and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. We thank you so much, Lord, for saving us as Christians, uh, just allowing us to be uh, completely free and forgiven, not guilty. But help us, Lord, to go and, and to practice what we preach, to be witnesses, Lord God, in the highways, the byways, the valleys, the alleys, wherever you send us, Lord God. I pray that this church and these people would shine bright and beautiful as a witness for Jesus Christ. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you. And we pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.